back to another episode of the RPG Concierge. If this is the first episode you're listening to, welcome to the show. This season, we're focusing on helping new players get into the hobby, as well as helping veteran players step into new territory, be it first time running a game or first time playing in a virtual space, among many other topics. We have a very special guest this week, Carnelian King. Carnelian is a non-binary storyteller and professional dungeon master for Roll20. Hi, Carnelian. Thanks for joining me. Howdy there. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, so you're joining us from Berlin, is that right? Yeah, from Germany. That's where I live now. Right on. Before we get started into our topic of virtual tabletop spaces, can you give us a little bit of info on your background, like what your gaming background is, things like that? Yes, of course. I was lucky enough to start playing D&D when I was 14, and it was because someone in my German class, actually, when I was younger, was talking to one of my friends about this book that he had been reading. And mm-hmm. um, from there, we formed like a like a Thursday D&D group, which met like every week for like three years. And nice. we had like two campaigns that we bo- we all got very attached to. And then when we went off to college, uh, I guess we, we went our separate ways. But then I guess since the last I, I started DMing when I was 16, so I've been doing it for a while now, like over over a decade. At first, I started with the DM from high school, and we co-DM'd a game together because I wanted a little bit of help with remembering all the rules at the beginning and writing uh, like a setting because we always wrote our own games instead of making a module. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to college, I had moved to California from Tennessee, and uh, I didn't really know how to make friends. So I, I played a lot of Magic the Gathering, and I got people from the Magic the Gathering meetup to be willing to play in my D&D game. And that was how I met people out in California and kind of started my life over there. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. That's really awesome. I have questions about your co-GMing experience. If I can jump in and interrupt. Of course. It's interesting to me. I've done some co-GMing stuff uh, also on very homebrew things. And uh, it's it's something that is potentially rife with uh, uh, problems, right? If, if instead of having one driver at the wheel, you've got two. So uh, how did you navigate running a game simultaneously? Um, it's a little bit of a not being upset when you don't have control. And not letting it be an ego thing and also not letting the other person do something wrong. Like a story doesn't have a definitive end. It can fit your goals no matter what uh, your co-GM or your players do as long as you are adaptable. Mm -hmm. So what me and the person that I did this with did was we would alternate every other week. So I would write some content and then he would write some content. And then we would fit it all into an overall narrative. That sounds very awesome. Like really cut and dried. It seems really clear who's responsible for what. I I like that you're you're talking about sharing the space essentially with them and allowing the creativity to sort of take the session where it will, it sounds like, even if it's not what you had in mind necessarily, and then adapting on the fly. Yeah, definitely. And I like this because it's a little bit less work to be making making a game with someone else because you're not responsible for creating the whole the whole scenario. Uh, you also have someone at the table that has an inkling of what's going on, which isn't necessarily going to railroad something. They just might be prepared to realize when uh, you completely over overshot what you thought uh, was going to happen. Yeah, that's really great. Like they can help adjust a little. Yeah, I like that. I, I think that might be an interesting tactic for anyone who might be trying to start out as a GM is to perhaps mm-hmm. pair off with somebody who has a little bit more experience. Um, similar to the way if you're a new player, you would start off playing in a group with other players who potentially know what they're doing. Yeah, that's I mean, that or play with friends, because the point of it is that it's a storytelling game. You can learn the rules together. You don't have to know them all at first. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so sorry, that was me interrupting you, telling us about your role-playing background. Yeah, I was just going to say that when I went off to college, I joined this thing called the Davis Role-Playing and Game Organization Network, Dragon. Ah, um, nice. And so it was like a club, <laughs> and then I was the DM one week and then I was in a player in a game the other week. So that was super cool because then I got to consistently play for like a year as the GM and then 
as a as a player on the off week. Uh-huh. And then when I moved to Germany, I actually started a game with the expats over here. So from there, I worked with Roll20 at, at a professional level because I had done this um, event called D&D Live. I had been one of the organizers for D&D Live. And then I'd met Roll20 because I was organizing a LARP for them. Okay. And I took some of the people from Roll20 out to lunch. And so uh, we got to know each other. And they asked me when they when they were looking for a professional GM for their staff so that the staff could learn the platform. Uh-huh. Uh, or be familiar with the things that they were uh, programming and developing. They asked me to interview, and I did. And I've been working for them for about a year and a half now. What an amazing opportunity. That's really cool. Did you say you were organizing a LARP for them? It, does Roll20 do so LARP? It was for Dungeons & Dragons. I organized D&D Live's marketplace. Okay. So... When people, D&D Live is an event in Los Angeles where streamers and people who are very into uh, D&D can come and be in the same space and play games. I think the last one was themed Descent into Avernus. Okay. And for the people who attended the actual event, I designed uh, a map and you could go to the vendors and you, you could make deals with the vendors to get stamps. And if you did, you were able to receive your soul coin back because it had been stolen by the realm. And this introduced characters to people who would be in the Descent into Avernus storyline. Like uh, we had people dressing up as characters from the from the story. And it was a delight. That sounds exactly right. That sounds delightful. Amazing. Nice. So you, you mentioned something called LARPing. Um, can you define that for our listeners and then maybe tell us a little bit about it? Yes, of course. So um, live action role play is very much like tabletop role play, but that you are acting it out. And because of this, it's a very often visceral experience because you have the opportunity to, I guess, feel within your body more of what your character is experiencing. You also get the, the chance to dress up in costumes and kind of go to new places and pretend Mm-hmm. that uh, other situations are going on. I'm particularly involved in a, in a scene called Nordic LARPing, which is often LARPing that is not about leveling up, but LARPing that is about kind of feeling and feeling like you are someone else in a specific situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know that Nordic LARPs have sort of become this massive thing unto themselves. And I have to admit, I don't know much about LARPs. Um, so for any of our listeners, I'm not right there with you, probably. I, I might be a step or two ahead, but I also have not experienced it. I have friends who have done LARPing and it sounds really cool. It's just never been a thing that's crossed my path. So when you're talking about LARPs, we're not talking about Dungeons and Dragons anymore, which is something that I'd like to to talk about too, because I know that you have a lot of experience outside of the world of D&D, both with your your LARP experience and your tabletop RPG experience. Definitely. So can you talk about some of the either LARPs or tabletop games that you've played that are not related to Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, yes, absolutely. I could, I could answer this <laughs> a myriad of different ways. Sure. And I think I'm going to break it down into two things because you asked me a question that has um, thousands of hours of answers. (laughs) So I think I'm going to talk about which LARPs that I have been to that have been the most meaningful to me. Great. I originally started LARPing by volunteering as a non-player character at a game called College of Wizardry. And this is a magical school in which you can pretend to uh, be a wizard. And I found this game to be... uh, really cool for me because people would explore like a time period in their lives that they that it might have been like mundane or stressful because they were they were teenagers at the time but in this instance they also had the added factor of knowing magic and trying to uh, navigate this situation as well as what was going on with their regular high school lives and I found that to be super cool. I really like anything that adds a, a layer of fantasy to something that would be otherwise mundane. Yeah, the same. I also like write my own LARPs. And last year we re- wrote one that was set on a, it was on a cruise ship and it was a, a Fey LARP. And I was, I was super excited about it because we were going to have a convergence of the Fey of the night and the Fey of the day because 
it was supposed to be the point at which it was like a solstice. It was the point at which uh, the powers were shifting. And so I had written a lot of characters and was looking forward to exploring like, I guess, Faye as a manifestation of ideas in reality. Oh, cool. And like I said, this is a rabbit hole that I could go down. Sure. But you were asking about tabletop games that weren't Dungeons and Dragons. Is that right? That as like well. More yeah. Ones? Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Just to give our, our audience an idea of some of the other things that are out there that they could potentially dip their toe into. Right. I'll just go over a few that I love. Great. You're maybe going to ask me later about uh, which games are good to recommend for people who want to step away from role-playing games to LARPing. And I would 100% recommend Fiasco. Fiasco is a delight. Awesome. And it's really easy to learn. It's by Bully Pulpit Games, Jason Morningstar. And it's about a group of people, usually very unlikable people, making bad choices and things going wrong. So this this gets you away from wanting to level and gets you to, ooh, we're going to have a weird, strange heist. Let's see how this goes. And so this is my my number one recommendation for uh, people who are transitioning from role playing to LARP. Uh-huh. They are they are the same thing. But um, so I also really recommend one that's called For the Queen by Every Adler. For the Queen is really quick. You can do it in as little as uh, thirty minutes, and it's a game where you you pick a card that is your queen. It's a picture of of someone, and you are the queen's retinue. And the queen is going on a journey and you and only you uh, have been chosen for this journey. And it's kind of like a long character creation session because you're answering questions about you or your party and the queen and why she's doing what she's doing. Awesome. That one's really good. And the last one I will recommend is probably Dialect. And Dialect is a game about uh, playing a community that's on the fringes of civilization and creating a a language together. Mm-hmm. And the scenes are you all using this language uh, to communicate ideas that wouldn't normally go- get mentioned. And it's about the fall of this community, right? Like the end of it is probably you all splitting apart. But I find a lot of meaning in playing playing games about the fringes of society. And so this game, it's only like probably four or five hours, maybe a little bit shorter. Like one really long D&D session is a game of dialect. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I find it to be very meaningful because you're creating scenes which develop a community and like it is a community developing over time and then ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had the opportunity to play dialect actually uh, cool. during the pandemic. I am part of a, a one-shots group that you participated in. Yep. Our friend Jim got dialect and everybody got very excited about that. So we played a session or two of that. Yeah, it was it was very interesting because like like you said, you're creating this language based off of these prompts that you read. And so you you draw cards and you read these prompts and then through the discussion that happens after that prompt, you come up with new phrases or words or things like that. And what I found was so interesting was even after the fact, it was easy for those made up words to find their way into our dialogue afterward which is really fun yeah we still use ones from ours we did one called thieves can't and we still use ones ickle bite which is a meal between meals and bopo the time when you can't do anything but lay on the ground oh amazing (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's awesome cool okay so those three are things that you would recommend for uh that are not dungeons and dragons um There are also things, uh, did I understand that right? There are things that you recommend for transitioning from tabletop role-playing games to LARPs? Yes. And although these are still tabletop role-playing games, they have more of a a LARP feeling. Yeah, I see. I understand. There's another one that's also pretty good. Oh, yeah? Have you heard about The Quiet Year? No. The Quiet Year is a, a game where you make a map together. And... Basically, in one year, the frost shepherds are coming, and you're going to have to deal with that. Um, but you have one year, and it, it's broken up into like a series of a few weeks at a time, and then four seasons, and each season gets a little bit harder. But you build a map together with your friends at the beginning about a place that you're going to inhabit, and you figure out what resources you have. You might have sheep, you might have food, 
you might have wood, but you might not have anything that you can use for shelter and you might not have any rocks to use to keep your tents down. And this is an awesome game because it's super collaborative and it gets you away from the idea of you wanting to play one guy and level and gets you into the, what can we do together? Should we make any projects so that our, our, our community thrives? And you don't play characters, but you play factions of the community. Like these are the people who love fishing and they want things that are pro river, you know? Yeah. And these are the witches that really want to be able to have more herbs and it's a delight. That sounds great. I love the idea of group, I guess, cartography. Yeah. <laughs> That's really fun. It seems like in a lot of the games that you're discussing, the, I guess, conflict is built into the game design instead of something that a GM would have to develop. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think that's an interesting concept for people to grasp is that while role-playing games, whether they be live action or tabletop, they cover such a broad spectrum of concepts that even if you're looking at something like tabletop role-playing games and, and you see Dungeons and Dragons everywhere, if that's not really your thing, there are still other options out there that might be more up your alley, depending on what you like. And I... All of the games that I've recommended are GM-less games. Mm -hmm. So the GM also gets to be a player. Yeah. And it's not like it's the GM against the players. It's this the GM has read the rule book and is explaining what's going on. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's what I found really refreshing about dialect specifically when we played is we had been coming off of doing um, like two weekends at a time per game. Um, so two sessions, maybe three, if, if a game went long before we had a milestone or something. But what that meant was that over the course of a year while we were doing this, we were rotating GMs all the time and attempting to learn new rule sets. And these were games that people had had sitting on a shelf and so would read specifically for this and try to learn it as fast as possible. And then we got to play dialect and it was just sort of calm and easy. We also played Goblin Quest, nice. which is a fun little silly game where you play a bunch of little goblins and they're given a mundane task to do. And you decide how you want to go about doing those tasks and you roll your dice and things go awry. And it's a whole lot of fun as everything falls apart. But that is also a GM-less game uh, where your assignments are sort of given to you at random and you have to come up with uh, how your team of five goblins is going to solve it. And then when your round is over, the next group goes and the next group goes and so on until uh, until everybody's goblins have either achieved their thing or met their end in a, <laughs> in a funny poof of goblin disaster. And so those games can be really fun too. And, and they're GMless. Uh, they remind me like if you're somebody who gets into board games, perhaps there are a lot of storytelling board games out there as well. Like Arabian Nights Fall of Magic is one that's really beautiful. And these are games where you you move around the board and depending on where you land, there are story prompts that are given to you and you improvise scenes with your friends. Yes, I like these a lot too. Um, oddly enough, my favorite one is called Fun Employment. Interesting, okay. Um, <laughs> and it isn't a cohesive story, but it's a, it's a game a little bit like Cards Against Humanity where one person is the boss and the other people are applying for the job that the boss is hiring for. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's like clown or children's entertainer or maybe new uh, new pope. <laughs> and you have to come up with a story for why the uh, adjectives in your hand are making uh, you the best qual candidate for the job. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's wild. There's another one that is, I mean, we could probably spin off back and forth forever um but there's one called snake oil i believe it's what it's called and you have cards in your hand that are uh disparate concepts and you have to try to put together your terrible elixir that does nothing and sell it somehow to somebody using the cards in your hand and it's <laughs> it's another one of those where it's completely subjective and just hilarious if you get the right group of people together it's really fun Okay, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back with more from Carnelian. Until then, please check out this ad for a podcast friend of ours. We're rolling. Mark. 
Hello, I'm Sky. And I'm Ford. Together, we form the writing partnership of L. Skyford. We're excited to bring you Booklandia, a new podcast about books. On Booklandia, we review books, mostly. Honestly, mostly romance books. We'll occasionally discuss book topics, like our favorite and least favorite romance book tropes. Maybe one day I'll learn what a cinnamon roll is. Maybe. Perhaps we'll also dive into my psyche and why I hate the enemies to lovers trope and why it's such a popular one. Is it because you're a robot? Probably. We will absolutely spoil books for you. We will absolutely f***ing curse. And you will leave each episode knowing just how sexy we thought each book was. Did it make us want to get naked? Maybe. I'm definitely naked. (laughs) Probably. So am I. So please join (laughs) us on Booklandia, (laughs) where each book is a whole world to explore. And we're out. Hey, this is TC. And this is Jim from the Studio Demands It podcast. Where every episode we take a demand from a hypothetical studio. Which could be you. And challenge ourselves to conceptualize, pitch, and craft a film based on the stipulations. Or the demands. We are given. We talk about movies all the time. Particularly, we complain about the choices made in the films we've seen. We're nerds like that. And, of course, like any good nerd does, we automatically assume could do better even with the demands and restrictions that clearly must have been put on by a production so head on over to studiodemandsit.com and listen to our previous library of episodes damn it our library of previous episodes our precious library jim (laughs) our library of precious episodes You're a pirate Smeagol. Okay. So head on over to studiodemandsit.com to listen to our library of episodes. And submit your demand for a future episode, too. So go do that. Okay, bye. Okay, end of ad. And we're back with Carnelian King, non-binary storyteller and professional dungeon master for Roll20, which brings us right up to our main topic for this episode, which is playing in a virtual space. So obviously COVID-19 has shut down groups meeting in, in large quantities, hopefully at all. And with post-COVID-19 world kind of coming down the, the pipeline, a, a lot of gaming has moved or is moving to virtual tabletops so being that you are you work for one of the biggest virtual tabletops can you tell us a little bit about your experience with roll 20 and what it's like to give our audience an idea of what to expect so roll 20 offers it's i'm I'm hoping not to speak down to people because I'm assuming people have seen these sort of things before. But the way that I describe it to my parents who have never seen it before is it's like Skype with a map. Great. We'll have the ability to move around tokens like they would if they were in the actual space. And the GM has the chance to upload cool pictures to uh, to show the players as they come across. They don't even have to print them out. It has uh, videos of everyone in it so when everyone is there they can uh, you can see one another you can also change your name to make it your character's name and your character's pronouns so it's a little bit easier to keep up with and uh, each uh, each player will get a token and they will be able to control this token and move it through the map that the dungeon master has made and what's also kind of cool about roll 20 is that it has this thing called dynamic lighting which means that if your character doesn't have a fire, then the area might be dark. But then if they light a torch or something, then the area can become illuminated. And the the players can't actually see like the entire thing until the dungeon master allows opens the door so they can peer through into this area, which is actually super cool. That is very cool. Yeah. So what you're describing there are, for people who don't know, when you play a tabletop role-playing game, oftentimes there are scenes that take place in the theater of the mind, which is everybody just describing the the scene and what their characters are doing. There are also occasionally moments where things get a little complex to describe, and so it's much easier to draw a picture. And so you'll have maps, or sometimes they're called battle maps, that have a grid on them, and that grid represents a certain distance per square and then you can draw the outline of the building that people are in or the layout of a combat for example and that then allows the players to very quickly and easily look at the map and understand maybe a little bit faster how things are moving 
So I just wanted to throw that out there for our listeners in case they weren't familiar. Yeah, thanks for the explanation. Yeah. That's a really good point. Uh, I was going to say that it also has the ability to... So one of the things that D&D has is character sheets. And so uh, you have the ability to level up your characters inside the, the system. That makes So it makes it a little bit easier to level up your characters. And you can keep all of the information about like how good you are at throwing spells or how good you are at climbing around. And then all you have to do is click on the numbers that are generated on your character sheet in order to roll dice. And it's neat because Roll20 even has a feature that lets you roll 3D dice on the screen. Yes, I've I've fallen in love with that feature. I There's something that I miss about rolling my own dice and hearing them clack on the table. But man, it's so fun to like, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm the GM. So there are moments where I have big bad guys and we've been playing for a very long time. So everyone's really powerful. And there are moments where I have to like roll 10 of a certain kind of die. And there's just this cascade of dice that flies across the screen and bang around into stuff. And it's really fun. So yeah, the, the virtual dice is, is quite delightful as is the ability to simply click on a skill or an attribute and have the dice roll and do the math for you automatically. I know that for a lot of players when they're just coming in, that can be a little bit intimidating trying to figure out what the proper math is. And the longer you play, the harder it becomes because there are more things that are affecting the stuff you do. So yeah, Roll20 has made that much easier <laughs> for me anyway. It also has a list of the spells. Uh, so like when you are playing a caster, there's a, like an area on your character sheet once you have chosen the spells that you want, um, which often requires looking through them and doing a bit of reading. But when you... When you cast a spell, uh, you can click it and it pops up in the chat. So everyone can read it and see what the effects are. And the, the GM can see what the saving throw is. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm using a lot of jargon, but like um, the, the dungeon master will be able to tell if the monster will be affected by it, depending on how they roll. Yeah, it takes a lot of the guesswork and a lot of the math out of the equation, which at least for me, I think is really useful. There's also something that you mentioned here that I think I've mentioned on a previous episode that I find fascinating because it changed the game for me. And that is the chat window. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm not sure if the intention was for this to happen or not, but my players use it to have small scenes where they interact with each other while I'm interacting with somebody who's quote unquote on camera. And I'll just look over and see these two kind of gossiping about what's happening or they'll post gifts that are are really fun and describe what's going on. And so there's this like game within the game or, or like a sub-level to the game that's happening in the chat uh, with its own life and its own direction. And, and it allows for this like really great and organic character development to happen. So yeah, I don't know if that was the intention or hope or goal, but that is what's happening at least in my game. And it's delightful. Yeah, and I think that this is something that uh, it's good for people to know as a possibility because I think one of the things that can happen is that it can be boring looking at your screen, waiting for somebody else to finish their screen or their scene. And like the ability to write in the chat that what your, what your character is doing. There's also this thing called slash emote and it just puts your character's name and then you can say what your character is feeling. It like, it says Carnelian uh, looks like they are quizzically thinking about the questions. And that's just by typing slash EM. Nice. And then you can write whatever you feel. That's cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, so that that is another thing that happens in... Um, I, I only have experience with Roll20. I should come clean about that. So when I keep saying things are happening in a virtual tabletop, I don't know if this happens in all virtual tabletops, but it does in Roll20. And that is that there's a potentially intimidating, but also potentially very useful aspect to it. And that is there's a bit of code that you can type in. And there are macros that you can make, which are little strings of keystrokes that you can attach to a single button click that you can customize for your own stuff. I have found that to be incredibly useful. <laughs> and, and also when I first started bringing everything over, the, the pandemic had just landed. Everybody was trying to figure out what they were doing. 
And so the first like three sessions that I played on Roll20, I struggled as a GM because everything was so new and yeah. it was new to the players. It was new to me. And we were just trying to figure out what we were doing. But something happened in our third or fourth session where all of a sudden everything just clicked and we were able to fall back into that rhythm that we'd had before going into a virtual setting. And now it's just this smooth running machine. It's really great. I don't know if there was a question attached to that or not. I just like it. <laughs> uh, it's been very fun. Was it because it became intuitive after a point? It, it's because after a point, I had learned the things that I was going to use very well. There's still a lot under the hood in Roll20 that I just never interact with. I I, I think over the last maybe three months, maybe four months, I've started to play with the audio options where you can upload effects and music and pull from a library of music that's already there and and throw those into the background. It's a little difficult because not all of my players are wearing headphones. So sometimes it has a bit of an echo to it as it comes out of someone's speaker and goes back into their mic and then comes back in through the rest of us. But that like I, I found myself digging into my old sound designer bag and putting little clips and things like that together to help develop the emotional context of a moment or something like that that I know is coming. So yeah, it, it's not necessarily that I am a master of Roll20 at this point. I just have very quickly, because we, we went from playing once every month to six weeks to playing every week. And so that meant that I needed to really quickly figure out how to just keep the story moving forward. And so I learned those things. And then as I got comfortable with that, you know, it's like learning anything. You slowly start to pull in little pieces here and there and weave together the product that you need out of all of the potential options that are out there. So there are obviously brand new and veteran players that are coming to virtual tabletops. Is there any sort of advice or experience that you can share that might make playing on a virtual tabletop easier for them? Well, Roll20's made a series of intro videos. Oh, great. And there's also like a tutorial on how to use it. You probably know quite a bit about actual tabletops. So or, well, a player coming in probably knows a little bit about actual tabletops, or if they don't, this, uh, the tutorial, if you don't skip it, <laughs> uh, it only takes like, I think maybe 30 or 45 minutes and it shows you where to get the stuff. I think one of the most important things is paying attention to layers and paying attention to which, um, so as a GM at the top of the screen, there's the different pages that you can put players on or that you can put uh, maps on. And like, I think learning about the different layers and learning about the pages, and then maybe starting with a free module like Minds of Fandelver. Uh, it's a D&D module. Um, there's also, I think, I think Dungeons on a Dime, which is also free. And like, it has information in it in the journal tab about what you will need and the maps are already there. So you can watch the tutorials uh, that Roll20 made on YouTube. I think the person that hosts them is called Carlos Luna. He's awesome. And go through the tutorial actually on Roll20's page and then get a free module and run through it with your friends. That's the way that I recommend doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I would also add on if you have the luxury of playing a one shot here and there before diving into a full length campaign, it might allow yeah. you to set up certain things for your campaign ahead of time if you know that they're there or you know that you run the game in a certain way. Um, like I have a ton of pages, for example, I'm, I'm the kind of GM that I have maps for all of my cities, well, most of my cities, and then I have a full world map. And then I have pages dedicated to just NPCs and what they look like and, um, that kind of thing. So I really locked into, oh, I can just add another page here. Great. <laughs> yes. Uh, and it saves all of my old stuff and I can do that kind of thing. So. Yeah, and then you can choose show to player when you want to, but they, they aren't necessarily always available for the players to see. So it's like it's like you making a notebook and then like here's all your pictures and then you're just looking through them and then okay, but this is here. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm also a big fan of the, I don't use it very often, but there's the, um, I'm not sure if it's called this in Roll20, but the fog of war concept that you were talking about earlier of like uh, the the lighting that changes. Um, it, well, it's called dynamic lighting yeah. in, in Roll20, but fog of war is a part of it. Yeah. Um, I got to play around with that a little bit in two different locations uh, that my groups were going through. And it was a lot of fun. Um, one of them was deliberately designed to be somewhat maze-like. And so the fact that they could not just easily look at the map and figure out where they were going was very nice and super convenient. And it was a lot easier and faster for me to set it up ahead of time and just turn that on rather than me piecing these things together live as my players are sitting there waiting. That's one thing that has sort of increased pressure for me during this pandemic and playing on a virtual tabletop. And I'm not sure what it is, but for some reason, when I need to say, hang on, let me look for something, I immediately feel way more pressure <laughs> because everyone's just sort of waiting. Whereas at a How table, long are your sessions normally? Are your sessions like, uh, how many hours do they normally go? Uh, we usually do about three hours at a time. Okay. Um, so if they if my group throws me a curveball uh, and they go somewhere else, I'm like, oh, OK, hang on. I got to upload this picture or whatever. Uh, they are entertaining themselves and having a great time. And so I should not feel this way, but I definitely feel like just everyone's just looking at me waiting silently while I hunt around for art. <laughs> yeah. So if you're a new GM or a new player or you're just getting to a virtual tabletop for the first time and you're feeling those kinds of pressures, that is not necessarily because you're doing it wrong. It It is more likely just because it is complicated and the world has changed and everything's weird now. <laughs> I also think that there's this um, people coming to the game that have uh, played a lot or watched a lot of critical role mm. and so people's standards for this um are pretty high uh or they think that it's going to be like it was when they have seen this show mm -hmm. but not all dms are voice actors and uh or as thorough as mercer yes exactly uh as an example i'm not great at voices uh it's it's not my thing i i did theater and my whole thing was being behind the scenes so <laughs> that that's not a part of storytelling that i get really into it's just not my comfort zone um so if that's something that you as uh, one of our listeners is feeling similarly that is okay um it's it's okay that you aren't this you know, crazy talented voice actor with a bunch of players who are also crazy talented. I mean, if you are fantastic, if you want to try out a fun voice and give everyone a distinct, discreet voice, more power to you. That's awesome. I'm I'm super into that. Uh, it's just not everybody's cup of tea. I also would say about voices, it's okay to be really bad at the voice or accent that you're doing at the beginning, and um, be like. So like I love doing accents, but I like I, I started an Australian one, and at the beginning of the campaign was like deplorable. It was really bad. <laughs> and by the end, after you've played it, like after you've used this accent every week for a year, it will be better by then. Um, I also recommend if you want to get into voices, using YouTube to find references. Oh, that's awesome. And then also just going for it. Like it's okay if it's bad. It it will be more fun. Yeah. Yeah, uh, our, our audience can't see me nodding vigorously in the background, but yes, I am nodding. <laughs> I totally agree. Nice. Okay, so I think that brings us right about to the end. Is there anything else you'd like to tag on to this discussion about virtual tabletops? Yeah. One of the things about virtual tabletops that is important is that, like, I think you said that your games were a max of, like, three hours. Mm -hmm. um, so... Some people who are playing uh, normally before the pandemic are used to their D&D sessions going pretty long, yeah. going to be like four, four, six hours, sometimes quite long. It's really tough to keep people engaged past two or three hours. Like I cap my games at, my games are three and a half if I'm doing a one shot 
or two hours if I'm doing a campaign. Mm. And the reason being is because when people are at the computer, there are so many things that can be distractions. Like they, they might have to be going to a meeting directly after this and would like to prepare their notes. Um, they might get a notification from Facebook. And it's important to have a conversation about like the engagement of the game, like saying to the players, hey, I, I appreciate uh, if you stay in the Roll20 tab and don't mouse away. Or if there are a lot of people playing, then maybe even uh, please be very aware of when it is your turn. Like, because there's this thing called a turn tracker, which shows people which order everyone is in. And so like, if somebody was going to like mouse away or not be entirely present, making sure that that wasn't going to be at a time that it affected the game. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's a great note for anybody who's going to be playing, whether you're at a tabletop in real life or whether you're on a virtual one. I think that's a great conversation to have regardless. Just the talk about, hey, please don't take out your phone, things like that. I do have players who have problems focusing potentially. And and so staying engaged yeah. for long periods of time, I just know is not going to be the thing. So Mm-hmm. What I try to do to get everybody engaged is particularly in a combat scene where it takes a really long time to get through combat because everything slows way down. I try to in between or at the end of anyone's turn, they say, you know, I want to swing my sword at it. They roll their dice. They succeed. We deal out damage. And then I end their turn by saying, OK, now describe it to me. And I have them tell me in as cinematic and flowery of language as they'd like exactly what happened. And that tends to bring everyone's attention back to the table and engage in the story part again. And then it's the next person's turn. They've just heard what happened in this cinematic way. And then people are, people are checking out during the dice rolling and the number crunching and all of that kind of thing. And they come back when we get back to telling the story. Yeah, I think that this is a uh, quite a good suggestion. I also think putting the emphasis on other people to create the the scene is actually super important. This wasn't something I realized when I was first DMing. I would always describe what happened, but because it gives the players a little bit more control, it feels more collaborative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, on this similar vein, I would recommend uh, when you're doing these sort of things, having players write up at the end of a session, in the chat even, like kind of what oh, happened to them. And having them be the ones who explain, okay, uh, at the beginning of the next session, hey, uh, so what did mm-hmm. we do last time? I find that to be pretty helpful. Yeah, we we do that as well. The, um, okay, who wants to tell me what happened? And in fact, we just did a, th- we did three sessions in a row of what we called a flashback episode, <laughs> um, which was just everybody going through their notes from, the beginning of the campaign three years ago up till now. And so uh, it, it was great. It was a really fun reminder of little plot hooks that I set up that we never got around to. So then I then had that reminder of like, oh, right, I was supposed to write this journal entry thing or whatever. Um, and then the players also got to see some of the plot hooks that were set up initially, now knowing how they've paid off years later. Being like, oh, that was set up way back then, you know, and that kind of stuff, which is always fun. Um, nice. So they could see the strings. Yeah, exactly. And and hitting the high points and things like that, because I know that cool. however many notes I take, I'm spending most of the time talking. <laughs> and that leaves very little time for me to write down any kind of comprehensive notes. So I have the notes that I came in with, and then at the end, I'll try to do a write-up, but Honestly, I'm not as good at doing that as I should be. Well, having your players do that is really helpful because like you put in a lot of work in the front end and uh, it's absolutely okay to ask them for uh, a little bit of work on the back end that is basically like what yeah. your experience was, what your character's experience yeah. was particularly. I would say, uh, so like I have maybe two more things that I would I would say about this. <laughs> this is a, a hack. Okay, if there's a game where the order isn't uh, important and it's it's sometimes like 
each person is picking who will uh, like volunteering for who will go next, don't make it volunteer. Have the the first person that goes nominate the next person. Oh, interesting. And the reason that I recommend this is because uh, someone is honored to get nominated and therefore they are very quick to think of what they will do next. And every person will get nominated. So um, this is a nicer way to do it than having people like Fiasco has this thing that has, okay, who's filled with bad ideas? They can go first. And I love that and think that's a great starting point. But after uh, having somebody say, okay, who are we going to nominate for the the next part um, is really cool. This is also good. I have all my players, if there's ever anything that I would read to them, unless it's very important that I read it to them, I make sure that my players are reading it because it gets people more invested to be helping build the world. And a lot of people actually like to read out loud. I'm not going to say that that's everyone. Some people are quite shy and they don't like public speaking, but uh, it also just helps weave the group together to be um, to be reading mm-hmm. a thing. Yeah, things like uh, descriptive text or block text and things like that. Yeah, yes. great. Yeah, I agree. And, and that brings up a thing, just a, a, a gaming um, tip, <laughs> I guess, uh, a, a gaming tip. Um be familiar with the players at your table and don't be shy about asking them what they want or what they don't want to get out of this game because it will do it will it will only help you in a thousand different ways knowing exactly who likes to be in the spotlight and who doesn't um who prefers to hang back and just react versus who prefers to take the lead and and go for it who wants to have a a really aggressive game versus who wants to solve the mystery or find the romance or what have you right um knowing what you want out of your players and out of your gm is pretty like useful you should do that do that thing (laughs) i definitely think that this kind of goes into the last point that i wanted to make so, like, I have been in uh, personal D&D games that have schismed and ended. Mm. And often this would happen because of attachment to a character's playing a character a specific way. And I've done a lot of reading about this because I didn't understand exactly how it happened. Mm. Uh, so I, there's this book, uh, James D'Amato's The Ultimate Guide to Role-Playing Games. I found it to be really helpful in like figuring out what went wrong in those games that split apart. And often it can be remedied by having the GM have a a question like, so what does your character want to accomplish with this action? Because a lot of the time, um, something that can come between players or come between groups is wanting to play a character in a specific way that doesn't mesh with the group dynamics. Mm-hmm. But the GM has the power to mitigate this by figuring out what the thing that that player wants to be recognized within the character that they're playing and finding a way that it gets recognized without completely derailing the story. Yes. Yes. Incredible. I have also experienced that same problem uh, where there's someone at the table who really wants to get, you know, something out of the game that the rest of the group is not really interested in exploring. And that can be really problematic. I like that concept of having that talk ahead of time um, and even during of like, well, what are you what are you trying to get at here? What do you want to get out of this? I think is a really important thing. Another thing that James D'Amato says that I think is really brilliant is it's okay to break the fourth wall and just talk at the table, to step out of game and have conversations in more of a meta style before jumping back into character and into the game to just clear any of that stuff up and and head it off before it becomes a big problem. I know that people want to think that this kind of hobby is you're on all the time. And I I think that not only do I think that's incredibly difficult, but I just don't think it's realistic to be on all the time. And I, I don't necessarily believe that it helps to be on all the time. And I mean, the calling it a game is kind of misleading. Because doing role-playing is an improv exercise that gets to parts of you that you don't expect. And 
like a game often implies that there's winning and losing, but with role playing, it's telling a collaborative story. And there's not going to be, nobody's going to win at uh, figuring out uh, whether the, the Balrog was actually sated by um, this cake that you made him. Like, <laughs> it doesn't always have to be about war and it doesn't always have to be about combat. And I find that the most meaningful narratives are the ones that, like, we take the ego out of, like, wanting to be the very best. And I find that the stories that I really appreciate are the ones where we overcame maybe our differences and did something together. Yes. So 100%. I feel like in, in past episodes, I've said that exact sentiment and you just said it beautifully, much better than I ever would. That, that idea that this is, they call it a game and that is a hindrance to what this hobby is because there is no win or lose scenario. Um, like a game would imply. Awesome. I want to play in one of your games sometime. I, I know that you <laughs> you ran a game in the Sunday group, but I was out of town at that point. And that's a bummer. Uh, I think your games sound really great. I, I like to play test the games before I run them for Roll20 staff mm -hmm. so that they're super high caliber by the time uh, people that I'm working with see them. So there's always opportunities for that. So I might I might uh, ping you for running Harlem Unbound soon because Ooh. I need to practice that one. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. It's a Call of Cthulhu game. Do you know about Call of Cthulhu? I do know about Call of Cthulhu, um, and I've heard about Harlem Unbound, but I have not read anything about it of any substance, just the like top-level blurb. Um, but it sounds incredible. I would say that the guy who wrote it, Chris Spivey, is a genius, and this is like it's turning H.P. Lovecraft on his head and uh, like actually confronting his uh, racist past. And it's really mag magnificently done. Yeah. And I think people should play it. Awesome. Okay. Uh, so I think that brings us to the end here. Thank you all for joining us today. And thank you, Carnelian, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Is there anything that you'd like to plug before we say goodbye? Yeah, cool. Uh, next month, I'm going to start a show on Twitch that is called the Creative Collaborance. And it is a, uh, a role-playing game show uh, in which I interview, interview people in the role-playing community as like I'm going to be as an archivist tiefling. And they're going to be navigating their way through a maze of the mind. And I'm excited about that. It's coming up. It's going to be on the Roll20 Twitch. Other than that, you can find me on the interwebs at mischief underscore nerd on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, that's that's all I have for the meantime. <laughs> that's great. I'll uh, if you'd like, I can put those social media call outs in our notes in the show notes. And yeah, uh, to our audience, if you have any questions or concerns about getting started with role playing games, please feel free to reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at Finnegan one. That's F I O N N E G A N and the numeral one. Thank you very much, Carnelian. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. I appreciate it. Yes, of course. What a delight.